Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. And we are live from Studio One. For the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. PJ here with Fiona. Lots of donations and messages coming in. We will get to them. But you've been speaking to to somebody about their cancer journey, Fee. I have indeed, PJ. Uh, Dr. Sarah Fitzgibbon, and I actually spoke to her on air um, a few months ago because she was after setting up an organisation called Women and it was about helping female medics try and get ahead in their career and support, giving them support. Um, but I didn't know at the time that she actually had been diagnosed a couple of years ago with stage four cancer. And she's a mum, well, she was 37 when she was diagnosed and she had three small kids at the time. And we only found out there about two weeks ago that she has had an incredible cancer journey and she agreed to talk to us for Radio Son and it's just, it's a remarkable story. She's such an inspirational woman. Dr. Sarah Fitzgibbon, first of all, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling very good. Thanks, Fiona. Thanks for asking. So you were diagnosed with stage four cancer back in 2014, 2015. Uh, just tell me about when you were diagnosed. Did it, co- it must have come as an absolute massive shock to you. Absolutely, yeah. No, it was in November 2014. So my youngest daughter was eight months old at the time. I had two older children and I had just gone back to work after maternity leave and I hadn't been feeling brilliant. I'd lost a little bit of weight and I had some pain in my side. I thought I might have gallstones and my GP arranged for me to have uh, an ultrasound of my of my gallbladder. And then it turned out that actually what the problem was was that my liver was full of cancer so i had lots and lots and lots of cancer in my liver um, and we knew that it must come from somewhere else it was the type of cancer that looked like it had probably spread from somewhere else so i had to have other tests done the next day basically to find out where that might have come from and it turned out that i had a tumor in my bowel that had spread to my liver and obviously i suppose for for most people they would know that if you have um, cancer and it has spread that that tends to be a, a more difficult situation than if you have cancer in one place and that it can be cut out or, or cured. So I knew um, from that moment, I suppose, when I found out that it was in my in, cancer was in my liver, I knew that we were in for a lot of uh, treatment and that things were going to be difficult. Was there a family history of cancer uh, or was this just something that came completely out of the blue? Well, I suppose every every family in Ireland has some connection mm. with cancer. And in my own family, my brothers and sisters, I'm the youngest of six. Um, but there hadn't been any, any particular cancer in my own brothers or sisters or in my parents. But going back the way 
in the generation, certainly there, when we started looking, we did find that there was quite a lot of cancer at a young age. For some people with bowel cancer, there can be a particular type of genetic type or hereditary type cancer. So there was a risk that that might be the type that I had. But when I went on to have the genetic tests done, it didn't, it didn't look like that I had that particular type of hereditary cancer. At the same time, because I was so young, I was 37. Um, it does mean that all of my brothers and sisters had to um, uh, had to have their screening tests done, had to have their um, colonoscopies, which they didn't thank me for. And my <laughs> children will also, my children are, are still young. My eldest is 14 and my youngest is eight now. Um, but there will come a point where they will have to start having tests done regularly because they would be at, at increased risk because I was so young when I was diagnosed. You were 37. You had, as you mentioned, two children and then you had your, your little baby just after your diagnosis. It must have been really difficult. I mean, treatment of cancer is a difficult journey for anybody, but to be a mum, a young mum with a couple of kids, it must have been so, so difficult and emotional for you and for your family. Yeah, it was a difficult time like that. I had just gone back to to work, so my youngest was eight months old. I was just in the process of weaning her because I was going to be back at work, so I had been breastfeeding her, and, and all of those things had to be accelerated in terms of she was... Uh, going to spend more time away from me than I would have planned mm. and um, I uh, am a sucker for babies I absolutely love babies <laughs> um, particularly my own but any of them and there were times during my treatment where I had radiation tre- treatment and I wasn't allowed to pick up the children because I could pass on uh, radiation to them so that was very difficult at the same time I was really lucky um, in that my husband would be somebody who would always have been very involved with, with uh, you know, looking after the children and my, the, the children would be used to, to him being the one that was, you know, putting them to bed or reading them their stories. And we tried as much as possible for there not to be a huge change in their lives. And just recently I was talking with them and obviously it's, it's a while um, ago now and they're all a bit more mature. And I was talking to them a little bit about the memories that they have of that time. And they have very little memory of, of sort of disruption. I was lucky enough that my treatment was very local to me. I was getting treated in the Mercy Hospital. And it was as if I was going to work. I'd go in the morning uh, with my bag after the chemo ward. I'd come back in the afternoon. I didn't get particularly sick. I didn't lose my hair. I was able to continue to work a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, went, I was back at work as a GP within a few months. And I suppose those kinds of things, I was fortunate enough that that those sort of things worked out in in my household. And my parents uh, live close by as well. They were able to help out. And we tried to maintain a sense of normality. At no stage did we pretend that I wasn't sick. We didn't, you know, I wouldn't, for us, it wouldn't work out to be glossing over it or not talking about it. So we would always use the word cancer. We would always use the word chemotherapy. Um, but they were they were young and it didn't really matter to them where I was as long as I came home again and as long as I was able to be with them and, and, and as they read their stories or wash their clothes or whatever it was that they needed doing. I read an essay that you wrote about that time and you were preparing yourself for death. You were even talking about picking out the, the clothes that you were going to wear. And I was trying to get my head around the fact that, you know, you were looking after your kids, you were working, you were going through your chemo, but all the while, you had this thought process going on in your head like what was that like I mean it must have been really traumatic 
I think that, and it's, it's a little bit of a cliche, but I really did take it day by day. Mm. I knew on a day that I woke up that that day wasn't going to be the day I was going to die. I, w- I could kind of tell yeah. that I wasn't that sick on that particular day, that it was unlikely that that was the day I was going to die. And I knew that until that moment, until I had a sense, and again, maybe as, as a doctor, I would have maybe a closer view of, of knowing that you could be dying, but you might, might not be dying that day. Um, and... So each day that I wasn't dying was a perfectly good day to live and a perfectly good day to spend time with my family. We weren't able to plan ahead too much. So we would only plan things maybe two or three months ahead at a time in terms of maybe like a holiday or, you know, going out for dinner. Mm. Somebody would ask me, you know, oh, do you want, you know, will you be able to come to this in September and it'll be January? And I would just smile and say, mm, sure, you know, write me down because, you know, either I was going to be there or I wasn't. And that was difficult from that perspective but it really did concentrate the time for us and we 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 really did do the classic classic thing of making the most of every day and we had actually you know some of the best times that we've had together as a family would have been through that time because Mm. there was that sense of having that extra um, bonus time and again I suppose that I was lucky within about four or five months of my diagnosis and I had started some treatment I had started chemotherapy which for some people in that position, that chemotherapy could have been called palliative chemotherapy. There was no reason to call that curative chemotherapy. It was never mm. going to cure me. And so somebody else faced with that choice might have heard the doctor saying to them, you know, this is chemotherapy to make you comfortable or to give you a few extra months. So that was the chemotherapy I had. And yet it was enough to make me a little bit better that then I was able to have a different type of therapy this radiation therapy and that made me another chunk better and then I was able to have surgery and that made me enough better that I could have more radio radio chemotherapy so my point around that is I didn't ask at the time when I was diagnosed how long did I have I I knew in in my own head it was stage four cancer and that technically that's terminal cancer but I didn't go down that road it was not it was not an option for me to think about that so I you know logically I knew that the chances of me getting out alive were tiny yeah but that wasn't that day. On that day, I was going to live. You know, I had so much support from our house. And, you know, I really availed of all the services that they had available to me at different times, you know, over the past seven or eight years. And getting that opportunity to, you know, discuss how cancer affects you and for your family members as well. It really is. There's so many different emotional roller coasters to it and we all know people with cancer around the times of our scans we can suffer from anxiety and uh, where we just get really 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 anxious because you're able to ignore it a lot of the time but mm. not not around scan time and the services that are provided and um, you know by our cows are fantastic and again with the you know the other charities that are supporting you know breakthrough cancer are making you know such good process uh, progress in terms of uh, scientific research particularly around those cancers that are more likely and to have worse outcomes so things like esophageal and pancreatic cancer and you know it is important not to forget those cancers sometimes we we hear a lot about the and uh, the main cancers in and you know breast cancer bowel cancer but all of those other um cancers we need to get to a stage for other people where they can be like me and despite being given uh you know a stage four diagnosis that they can a person can be living well with that diagnosis in the background and that was uh excuse my maths now was that eight years ago eight years ago yeah eight years um nearly coming up to eight years in november yeah yeah yeah. and so you said there that you knew you couldn't be cured so do you still have the cancer 
Yeah, so it's a tricky one. So nobody, no doctor will ever tell you if you have stage four cancer that you're cured because at any second, any moment, that cancer can come back and that's a, a thing that can happen. Mm. And medicine can't really stop that. At the moment, um, for the last number of scans that I've had, um, there has been no evidence of disease. That's what's it, what it's called. Um, so NED, they call it, uh, which is a lot better than DED. That's how I put it. Um, so it, it, there, there's no sign at the moment of any active cancer. Okay. But because because it had spread through my system so much, that cancer can be hiding anywhere and, and could reappear at any time. So do you prefer to live your life not thinking about that or is there an element of fear in your head every day? Uh, no, I try and avoid it as much as possible. So since the time that I was diagnosed, I just was head in the sand pretending that it wasn't there and that's why I went back to work. That's why I did lots of other things. I did lots of fundraising in the first couple of years uh, for the um, Mercy Foundation and for, for other charities. I... Uh, or, set up an organization for female doctors and medical students. Uh, I started writing, you mentioned the, the, the essay, mm. but I, I started writing a blog and then I wrote for um, the Medical Independent newspaper. And I just do lots and lots of things all the time, which is basically just me in an avoidance mode. So I just, um, I'm covering my uh, <laughs> my ears and my eyes to cancer at all times. Well, it's brilliant that you're able to put your talents and skills into all of these things and hopefully long may it last. Dr. Sarah Fitzgibbon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us for this year's Giving for Living Radiothon. We really appreciate it. No problem at all. It's a pleasure. Courts 96 FM.